So like on a recent bonus episode, we were talking about uh, the instant classic DJ Khaled clip where he gets that guitar from uh, the... Bob Marley's like estate. Marley, yeah, Marley estate. One of his clones. And just instantly starts... Yeah. <laughs> just instantly starts hammering away on it without knowing how to fret a chord or anything. The confidence of a man who uh, has never, ever been told no in his entire life. No one has ever told DJ Khaled he did something bad. Yeah. Not for a long time, at least. And I bring it up briefly just because this weekend, or actually, wait, by the time we released this, it might have been a couple days ago, but he is uh, doing like a musical performance at the NBA All-Star Game. And obviously the way he's going to do that is like he always does it where he's just got like 10 guests and they do all the actual singing and rapping. But I feel like having watched that um, guitar video again recently, if someone just like kind of like inflated him, his ego and was like, you should get out there and play guitar, man, you should do it. I feel like he would do that in front of like 50,000 people and have no shame about it, you know? 100%. And I know exactly what guitar he should play and what it should sound like. It should be an untuned... Uh, do you guys know the Ovation acoustic electric guitars that have kind of a round back to them? Oh yeah, the Christian yeah, yeah. guitar, kind of plastic. A Christian guitar, Youth yeah. Guitar. Someone wheels out a, an Ovation, uh, untuned Ovation, and just plugs it directly into the mains, and then he uh, and then tells him to play um, Star Spangled Banner, and he'd do it. He needs to play Santeria on Bob Marley's guitar for the NBA. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it'd be he'd be such a fun person to be his friend because I feel like you could convince him to do absolutely anything as long as he feels like it's going to aggrandize himself. What was this thing about the ocean? I saw that again recently where he was like, he was out on a jet ski and then it got dark and he yeah, posted and he got a lost. So he just he kept got, like posting Instagram live shit nonstop of being lost. <laughs> lost at sea. But he had a good quote about the. He's like, you look at the ocean, you think it's blue, but then at night it's black. <laughs> he's not wrong, I guess. He's not. It's nice to see someone mulling over the sea. You don't see that much anymore. Yeah. Like Moby Dick style, just <laughs> staring out at the sea, thinking about what it represents, what colors it is at different times, what would happen if you just threw yourself into it. Let yourself drown in its embrace. I'd read 700 pages of that from him. Wouldn't it be funny if DJ Khaled died that day? <laughs> like, And we had to accept that he's a legend now because he died. If he went Jeff Buckley? Yeah. <laughs> hey, another guy who didn't make his own music. Yeah, he I'm covered on Leonard Co Cohen, which is as bad as what DJ Khaled does. Yeah. <laughs> he ripped off that song and took credit. And now he's at the bottom of the sea with Jack from Titanic. DJ Khaled should do a version of Hallelujah that features like Lil Wayne, Gunna, Migos. <laughs> it would have been kind of funny if they just left Jeff Buckley in the sea. But they did pull him out and they did entomb him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's right. Every year they sacrifice a new artist to him. Like the Knights yeah. <laughs> Templar uh, entombed in the church in Malta. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has Jeff Buckley. Is Stevie Ray Vaughan also entombed in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Um, he should be. I hope not. He used heavy strings on his guitars, which I don't respect. Well, how heavy yeah. are we talking? The heaviest like ones you can... Like bridge cable heavy. Like, yeah, the heaviest ones. 
See, I'm on to 11s now because, like, I moved up from the 10s. I'm all about 11s. I feel like maybe 12s are, like, acoustic guitar strength strings almost. And I don't know if you need to be putting that unless you're tuning down to, like, C or Drop something. Drop B. But yeah. Ooh, this is a good story that just uh, randomly came to mind, but I was recording some like E1 songs that we haven't put out yet at this uh, studio that's mostly used by like metal band. It's like a lot of it's like doom metal and shit like that. So they have all these like the kind of pedals that like Sun will use or whatever, you know, and all, all the right. bases in the studio yeah, yeah. are tuned down to like uh, A standard. So I'm tuning them way <laughs> up to E when I'm using them. But the thing is, uh, we were recording this E1 shit. There's like a, a dad rock like blues song. And the band that was going to record in the studio the next day was loading in their drums while I was recording this really, really (laughs) shitty stuff on purpose. And I never talked to them while they were doing it. So they were just loading their shit in to probably make some really cool album. And they're just listening to me go (laughs) for like 45 minutes. And it's like so impossible to explain to them why I was doing that. Oh, that rocks. That's amazing. That was like Pink Floyd in the same studio as the Beatles doing Sgt. Pepper. Yeah, when they did and the they first And they were just Pink hearing it like, what is this stupid bullshit? They think they're a marching band? <laughs> they have a song called what Good Morning? Racket? These guys are idiots. It's like a bunch of five-year-olds. They can music for babies. It's baby bullshit. <laughs> Pink baby Floyd was bullshit. like, they're making music for five-year-olds. Now we're going to go back to our studio and make a song about a gnome named Grimble Grumble. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and a song about uh, about Emily. It was a parody. Playing. They were making fun of. Them. Yeah, they heard the Beatles and they're like, "Let's make fun of these fucking losers." Yeah, what if Pink we Floyd made was some just baby trolling songs? the Beatles? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love playing with blocks. <laughs> Sid Barrett was one of the greatest geniuses of all time. You almost sounded like Obama there. Oh, Sid Barrett. Oh, one of the greatest geniuses of uh, the British folks across the pond. Oh, uh, Sid Barrett. Has always been the heart and soul of that band, whether as its main <laughs> songwriter or as the subject of many of its songs. But uh, speaking of speaking of rock and roll Cleveland, Hall of Fame, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a wise um, man once said, "The heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland," but not anymore, right. thanks to Obama. They're moving it. They're moving it out. The Midwest gets shafted yet again. Obama's building his presidential library on top of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Demolishing <laughs> yeah. it. He's demanding that Steve Vai be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and then entombed alive into the walls. Yeah, he's trying to kill all our I guys, actually, replace him with hip hoppers. A couple minutes ago, I actually just started control Fing the list of uh, Hall of Fame inductees to find Steve Vai or Joe Satriani or these guys, and none of them are in there. What a fucking atrocity, man. They're too fast. Well, to be fair. Yeah, exactly, Alex. To be fair, uh, Steve Vai, Satriani, and and to a certain extent, Ingvay Malmsteen represent sort of a straddling of rock and roll and uh, and classical music. You know, rock and roll <laughs> Hall of Fame doesn't really have a spot for virtuosos. Yeah, that's what they. Yeah, get. they should be in the classical music Hall of Fame. They've always said like <laughs> the only, it's not the really only rock. other inductees are Beethoven and Bach. It's not really rock. It's fusion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's neoclassical metal. Well, if it's not rock, should, you don't get to be in the Hall of Fame. Fuck you. Too bad. Why don't you go to the, yeah. they the should, Blue what? Note Records Hall of Fame or whatever? They should build a Fusion Hall of Fame in Montreal. Montreal would be a good place for that. Everyone likes jazz fusion there. Yeah, maybe they could induct um, Steve Vai shredding over the Halo theme into that Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes. 
They're building the Jazz Fusion Hall of Fame on top of the Ubisoft building. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the reason we wanted to talk about the Rock Hall of Fame is because Alex found this article. It's like an op-ed from a local Cleveland, uh, I guess, like maybe TV station or something. Yeah, apparently but, local um, Cleveland news is very invested in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony. They put out a lot of articles like how to vote in the fan poll, who, who's going to be uh, inducted this year. Duran Duran takes lead from Eminem and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame fan vote for 2022 induction. Stuff like that. And I found this really... M- Eminem. <laughs> yeah, Eminem. Okay. Yeah, how are you going to have Eminem but not Joe Satriani? Yeah. The legend. Well, Eminem's sort of the Joe Satriani of rap. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Very fast. He can do the most very possible, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the most words. The best rappers fit the most words into uh, the smallest amount of bars. That's just a fact. It's a competition, and uh, you got to be fast. There's this really bitchy opinion piece by this guy, Mike Polk Jr., and he says... Now, of course, if you had no familiar familiarity with the history of the hall, you would probably say to yourself, well, they'll obviously have the ceremony in Cleveland, right? You'd think so, wouldn't you? What would the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame being here and all? But sadly, that is not the case. Since the hall's inception, the ceremony has been rotating locations between New York, Cleveland, and Los Angeles. The majority of the, the events are held in NYC, which, if you're keeping track, is not where the Rock Hall is. I like that he shows his local cred by calling it the hall. Like, no one in New York is so familiar with this hall of fame that they're calling it the hall casually, you know? These guys are homers. You guys have Carnegie Hall, we have Rock and Roll Hall. Yeah, at Carnegie Hall, you host these uh, more classical type of musicians like Satriani. But at the Rock Hall, you know, we're just about simple, you know, three chords and a little gain, you know? Three chords and the rock. That's what they call it. Three chords and some rock. Three chords and some drums, maybe some bass, and the singer too. Yeah, My, and if you're if you're getting fancy, some keyboards, just a little bit, ooh. Though, not too much. You don't want to get into the Fusion Hall of Fame though, not if you have a fear of heights. Mm. That's right. But my primary gripe about this is based more on principle. It's about the lack of respect that this shows to the city that calls the Rock Hall home, and of course, this is nothing new to our town. There are still people who feel as though the Rock Hall shouldn't really be here. They don't think we deserve it. It was an epic struggle to get the hall built here, and it took a lot of concessions at the start, including the pretty humiliating allowance that induction ceremony would not be at the actual Rock Hall consistently. My theory is that you could replace the phrase Rock Hall in this article with LeBron James, and it would still make just as much sense. (laughs) Yeah, it's very sports media. Maybe that's what they're going for. Most of the people. I was just looking through this guy's Twitter feed, and he's he's definitely a sports guy too. That would make sense because this is how they think about stuff. It's like, well, well, why isn't he playing in our stadium? Our power tax yeah, dollars. and the Rock Hall this it. year, it's going to be uh, the Rock uh, induction ceremony is going to be in L.A. this year, just like LeBron. It all checks out, you know. But here's the thing: I guess my first thought reading this was like, well, it's obvious like why people. Like artists don't feel like going to Cleveland over LA or New York because that's just where they live. But then I realized mm-hmm. no one gives a shit about the Rock Hall, so what does anyone care? And then I finally came around to their perspective in this column of if no one cares but Cleveland, just let Cleveland have it, right? Like I, I'm yeah, completely exactly. on this guy's side. Like just let him have it. Like like anyone anyone getting inducted in the Rock Hall of Fame has had enough 
experience, you know, like doing uh, flights and shit that just getting up and going to the airport and flying to Cleveland and flying home is not going to be a big deal. You're used to it. Just do it. Yeah. You do, you do if, it. You do it to play shows all the time. Just go to Cleveland. If you're Eminem, it's yeah, closer because you're in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> you could drive there if you're Eminem. You could drive through the, the great state of Michigan down to Ohio. A beautiful drive. And at the end of the day, if Eminem or Pat Benatar don't feel like coming to the ceremony, again, who gives a shit, you know? Like, yeah, just have the ceremony no big deal. anyway, whatever. Just get, let Cleveland have something. Yeah. Cincinnati's got Skyline Chili, you know? No one's, true. no one's taken away Skyline Chili from them. Let Cleveland have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No, they do that in L.A. every other year. Skyline Chili? Yeah, all the Skyline <laughs> shit, the Chili, the, uh, the trademark moves. They can only do it in yeah, yeah. L.A. for one year. It goes between L.A., New York, and, and Cincinnati every three yeah. years. They have a big chip on their shoulder it. about it. You go over there, you're like, hey, it's Cincinnati. Why can't I have a, your, your specialty food? And they're like, well, this is a New York year. You want something else? <laughs> we're, getting a, we're getting a cease and desist order for trying to sell original Skyline Chili in, a, in an off year. They'll execute you. But that's just part of being in the Midwest, being between the coasts, in the disrespected yeah. region of America. Yeah. We have, uh, like, summary executions are legal here, as long as you say you had a good reason. That's right. Uh, they should do a trade. If, if L.A., okay, if L.A. wants the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony so bad, then uh, the... Oscars should be held in Cleveland. Yeah, that's a good one. Actually, that's exactly the point that they make in this article. He's like, what if we took the Met Gala? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's what exactly if? what he said. They should. That would be very funny. They should have the Met Gala would... in, like, Pittsburgh or yes. Dayton, Ohio. Colum Columbus, Ohio. Columbus Met. They can have it at the Wexner Center. The farther those people have to travel, the better. <laughs> yes. Now, the more I think about the it, I agree with this guy. Now, they should send these people at these, these award shows to the smallest locale they can find. Like when um, David Thorpe sent Pitbull to Alaska. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The city that has that is the smallest city that still has the infrastructure to support it, like um, a suburb of Des Moines or something like that. You know? Yeah, someplace that That's has enough they... uh, like Holiday Inn Expresses. They can mm -hmm. they can mm -hmm. get like the bare minimum of journalists that actually cover these events. I don't want to see anything over three stars in the hotel range, otherwise uh, disqualified immediately. It's got to be Holiday Inn Express. It's got to be uh, Comfort Inn and Suites. It's got to be like the slightly better than normal La Quintas. That's what they deserve. Everyone involved, especially the yeah. musicians. Yes, and they're yeah, exactly and if they're if they're real rock and rollers, they're used to it. It'll feel it'll feel nostalgic to them, you know. Yeah, like, they're back uh, on the road doing like shitty shows they haven't done in a while, you know. Exactly, they forgot maybe, their roots. Maybe it'll inspire them to make some great art, you know. Because let's face it, by the time a lot of these people get inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, their best years are past them. Their best creative output is past, you know. So maybe, just maybe, if we hold it in, like Alex said, Dayton, Ohio, and they got to stay in the Holiday Inn Express. I mean, like, we won't put them in a Super 8. Holiday Inn Express, maybe they'll get inspired sitting there. Yeah, I wholly support this. Because, like, on a genuine level, it's like, let's give the economic opportunity, like, little, you know, a couple million dollar boost to these smaller towns who could use it more than New York and L.A. And let's get these artists actually giving a shit about what they're doing again by forcing them to remember what it's like to not be on top. It benefits everybody. Let's give them yeah, bed bugs. 
And then we do it like a cultural exchange where instead of the Met, all of the, um, you know, most bleeding edge, cool, like richest uh, sort of citizens of New York City can go and meet and eat Skyline chili. <laughs> like, like just a big chili yeah. trough, you know? They can put it on spaghetti, they can put it on a hot dog, but they have to eat the chili and they have to be filmed doing it. New Yorkers genuinely love doing that though, of like discovering a normal thing from somewhere else in the country and then paying $40 for it. Like they would easily fall for that. That's true. Their loss unless, the, you know, the, like the money's going to go right back to Cleveland. So I think we figured this out. This is good. This is like a good way to fix the entertainment industry completely. Yeah. But uh, digging into the actual, you know, the thing, the thing no one is aware of because no one gives a shit except people in Cleveland who write op-eds about it. And Chubby Checker. Uh, the official leaderboard, the fan leaderboard for uh, the 2022 induction ceremony, that article on the um, WKYC site is already outdated because Eminem has retaken the lead from Duran Duran. Damn. And then way, like those two are way in the lead. Then after that, we have Pat Benatar, Dolly okay. Parton and Eurythmics are in the top five. Dolly Parton and Eurythmics, you say. Yeah, how is so Dolly Parton not already in there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. what is their definition of rock and roll, though? Cause yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think it's just like, any music that's like blues-based in the songs yeah. are on Eminem average blues under based five though? minutes. Um, I guess you could hmm. argue that the guitar part from Lose Yourself is blues-based. Yeah. In a blues sense. Sampling gonna, Aerosmith is blues-based. Aerosmith are blues-based. Yeah, so, that's yeah. pretty pretty much blues-based. They can induct the one song, but not him as an artist. Like I think yeah. uh, Run DMC is in there. Um, I think Public Enemy. Like they've got a. It's such an arbitrary criterion. Yeah, I was reading articles about it, and one they mentioned. Like, um, should they change the name of it? But I don't know how you would really do that. Like, what what would you call it? The Music Hall of Fame? Maybe, yeah. But then you're opening yourself up to, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like what we were talking about uh, with that with that K-pop band where rock and roll has just become more of a vibe than anything else. Yeah, it's not really yeah. a hard and fast genre. But it, the problem is if you make it music, then it has to be like... Um, you have to make it broad, like the Grammys, where you have to have like a children's music award. The Bluegrass Award, the uh, Acapella Vocal Group Award. Yeah. Yeah, Tuvan Throat Singing. Maybe yeah. if you called it the Pop Hall of Fame, that would work, but I think that would piss off the some rockers. Because if you went to like Billy Idol or someone like that and said, you're a Pop Hall of Famer, you'd probably punch you in the face. Probably. Probably. Are there metal bands in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Like, has Metallica been inducted? Uh, I'm pretty sure yeah, they have. Yeah, I think let's so. Let's check. Yes, they have. 2009. Okay. That makes sense. Kind of late, 2009. It's just like the Grammys where everyone's inducted, like, way too late. Everyone gets a Grammy once they're already really terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody posted a picture of, uh, like, a press shot of Metallica circa Reload. It just showed up on my feed yesterday and i could not stop looking at it it's so deeply unpleasant <laughs> it's so funny that they called an album load and then, <laughs> and then and then use the leftover songs to make a record called reload were they doing that for <laughs> beavis and butthead 
I don't know. Was that the point? Like, let's make an album title that Beavis and Butthead will find funny. Let's call it Load. <laughs> That's a good question. I was too young at the time when Beavis and Butthead would riff on music to think of that, of like, as a marketing guy, be like, what can we do that's embarrassing to intentionally get riffed on? <laughs> I, d- I doubt they were. I bet they were just like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a load I don't of think songs, that, uh, like dumping a, dumping a load of songs off a truck. They fell off the back and, of the truck. <laughs> yeah, and they just made their most successful album and kind of broken into the pop charts legitimately. Like they were, you know, they charted with uh, Master of Puppets, right? Like famously topped the Billboard charts without any radio play, and then little bit, little bit more mainstream with with Justice for All because like they played at the Grammys, and then Black Album broke them through, and I'm sure they were just like, oh, we got to reconnect like with our edgy uh, younger fan, you know, like just go back to our roots, and and they decided to call the album Load. Five year gap between <laughs> albums. Yeah, I think it was really hard to make too. Um, uh, I think I think they really struggled with the songwriting because like Cliff Burton. Cliff Burton was kind of the the creative engine of that band in a lot of ways. And he died in 1986. And then, you know, it was just diminishing returns. As far as I'm concerned. Black Album, no good. Load, even worse. Yeah, they're kind of dumb guys. Yeah, like Burton was the only... I mean, maybe Burton was a dumb guy, but he seemed like less of a dumb guy than than Hetfield. Yeah, it seemed like he had a a little bit better taste. Because just James Hetfield by himself and Lars, they they don't know what to... Even with Bob Rock there, they just don't have the best ideas. And Kirk Kirk doesn't have an alpha enough personality to sort of like dominate both of those two together. So, so he's playing, uh, he's playing a Wawa guitar solo on, uh, on a song called Of Wolf and Man <laughs> about werewolves. <laughs> That's the best thing about metal, though, is you're allowed to be that dumb. Yeah, That's why so true. many guys like metal, because it's like guy kind of stupid of like... I'm going to talk about fantasy shit and play as fast as I can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was something about Metallica that was like, seemed as a teenager seemed less dumb to me than all those other bands, even though they were dumb. Absolutely. But like, but like, you know, I remember listening to master of puppets and being like, Whoa, they're singing about world war one. <laughs> it's smarter than Megadeth. <laughs> it's smarter than Megadeth. It's smarter than In My Darkest Hour or uh, Peace Sells, but Who's Buying? I'm just thinking about now, like, putting on Purple Haze and being like, whoa, he's singing about Vietnam, dude. (laughs) There's so much Purple Haze over there. Yeah, that's right. Oh, wait, I forgot that Load has Come on the cover. And Blood. That's the cover, right? (laughs) Come and Blood. in In, like, a glass slide, basically. They made a big deal out of that when the record came out. Actually, wait, sorry. Now I'm just thinking about if I was a few years younger than I, Alex, maybe you're the right age. If someone, if you were dumber, you could have had the thought listening to Green Day's American Idiot, like, whoa, I got to rewind this back, man. This shit he's saying about Bush is too crazy, man. Yeah, when that came out, I was the perfect age. I was like 12. I guess, I guess the perfect age would Bush be Bush is like, a fucking American idiot, man. He's an American ape. He's a chimpanzee. And he choked yeah, on a pretzel. the bongos. That's right. Did you, Alex, did you know at the time, like when you were listening to American Idiot and you were 12, did you know at the time that it was stupid? Um, like, could you kind of tell? Yeah, it, it seemed kind of stupid. It seemed like, I remember how heavily it was promoted and like sensing some hypocrisy, 
But I yeah. I thought then and I maintain now that it's kind of a good album. It's obviously very yep, stupid. Fair enough. After Trump got elected, I went back and listened to it because I had just this weird, like indescribable feeling of like 2004 again. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when a Republican's elected and liberals are all like outraged, like, oh my God, it's Hitler. <laughs> it reminded me of that. Yeah. So it, it does do a good job of channeling that feeling, even if it's clumsy. That, that album for me falls into the category of stuff that came out when I was in high school from bands that I liked when I was like in junior high that I tried to get into. So I listened to that album a bunch and I listened to like Red Hot Chili Peppers in the early 2000s, like a bunch, like trying to continue to like it. And then, and then I just like kind of just like faded into the ether, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was me and Metallica. That was the first time I was ever truly disappointed in a band that I liked. I took it really personally. Yeah, that is funny. That is like an important coming-of-age musical experience. Like, oh, man, these guys aren't good anymore, are they? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think if there's another band that I had that experience with. Maybe Pavement, too, like a little later on. Just like trying to convince myself that uh, Terror Twilight was a good record. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it does have like two or three good songs, probably. Yeah, maybe. Uh, like Carrot Rope. Carrot uh, Rope, not bad, not bad. Was Metallica I mean, the Black I'm, Album supposed to be a reference to Spinal Tap, or was it an accident? I think it was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. They should have made an album called Shark Sandwich on accident. Yeah, and a musical about Jack, uh, Jack the, Jacques the Ripper. Jacques the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually seen Spinal Tap in like probably a decade. I should probably It's one of the it. best movies it's, of all time, like... Yeah. So goddamn good for a movie to like that's um, a mockumentary about metal bands in the early '80s, like before metal even broke through. Really, like it was more yeah, like yeah. NWO, BHM stuff than um, yep. hair metal. Yeah, it was like it was like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and like whatever was left over from like the heavier end of Prague, pretty much. Yeah, but it it holds up so well and applies to so many different things. It's so fucking good. We uh, Wolfray tried to watch it on the bus one night. We're like, let's watch Spinal Tap. Haven't seen it in so long. Threw it on. It's like really funny. But then at a certain point, everybody just got really depressed because it's just it's so fucking accurate. With the, <laughs> way, the way that it, with how stupid being in a band is, and you know, just the way it it really like highlights into like these classic interpersonal uh dynamics between band band members yeah yeah if you're around the same like small number of people for 24 7 for years over time there's like only so many social dynamics that can play out and that just a petty hatred there's one scene that always sticks with me where they're like they see another more successful band in the lobby of a hotel that they're staying at and like their tour manager is like shit talking this other more successful band but then it then he also casually mentions that they sold out the enormo dome you know <laughs> so funny yeah the manager is so good manager's amazing this popped into my head probably because there's a new animal collective album out but uh i remember like when animal collective broke through like av tear and panda bear were living together working together at a record store and in a band together <laughs> <laughs> it's such an insanely bad idea. Like, and that like they talked about that because it was such a disaster of just like we're gonna fucking like kill each other, you know? We gotta yeah. separate a bit. Many such cases though. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like those things always play out in the same way. I think of everyone needs their space. When yeah. you spend that much time together, you got to have some space, you know. Just imagine doing that and then being like, "Well, time to leave this all behind and get on the road and be stuck in a band together for like." Yeah, two exactly. Time to share a, a queen bed in a in a hotel room together because we need to save money. We should start an indie rock hall of fame. <laughs> God, that'd be so lame, dude. First inductee, Neutral Milk Hotel, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, wait, okay, here's the question. Um, is Radiohead too big to go in the Indie Rock Hall of Fame? No, we should start by getting a bunch of controversy by putting in bands like Radiohead, Television, uh, Nine Muse. Inch, I think we do Nine should... Inch Nails, yeah, Muse, just to court controversy and get a bunch of attention. Yeah, the whole thing yeah. should just be like a ploy to get people mad. Yes. Like have like yeah, uh, exactly. Billie Eilish cover "Creep" for Radiohead getting yes. inducted in like a, yes. a really bad way. Just do the most like the least indie thing you could possibly do with every band. Like force them to play their most popular song that they don't like anymore. Yes, Stone Temple Pilots definitely uh, lifetime achievement award first year. Yeah, Stone Temple Pilots yeah. put them in the Indie Rock Hall of Fame, and then have the rest of the band without Scott Weiland. But replace him with like uh, the guy from Buck Cherry, Josh Todd. Have him do yeah. Yeah. Um, also Creep by Stone Temple Pilots. Yes. Only songs named yes. Creep. Creep medley. First year, um, the big show. Yeah, that's the big show. It's a Creep medley. That's going to be amazing. Also, We People This Teenage Dirtbag. <laughs> that's year one for sure. Yeah, uh, whatever think, whatever band that wrote uh, Stacy's Mom or whatever, Fountains of Fountains Wayne. Fountains of Wayne, yep. I think um, we should also, for theatrics, uh, kind of like sports, uh, lift classic albums up to the rafters to retire them. <laughs> every year we every year we announce God's PG Black Emperor is going to perform, and uh, and they never do. <laughs> so we get a <laughs> so we get a band to cover their one of their songs. Did you see they put out I also that think, demo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah after it leaked, and he has finally, he's finally just like, all right, fuck it, we'll put it out. There. I listened to some and of it. De- it doesn't seem that good. It's, uh, it's a demo. That's what I he mean. said. Yeah, it's a demo. Yeah. He said, yeah, he was like, this wasn't released because it wasn't good, but here yeah. he Yeah, is. that's usually and the it, case. It, probably, it says something good about him growing up that he's like not mad about it, where he's just like, you know what, I will put it out there. Like, that speaks to him growing donating, as a person. Like, they're donating all the money to charity, too, all the proceeds from the record. So that's cool. Yeah, that that's rocks. cool. Yeah, it's kind of like a smile by the Beach Boys where people talked about yeah. getting it put out and then it turned out there were only like two unreleased songs that weren't really that good. Like every, yeah. everything they had Most was, of that album's yeah, so boring, dude. Like yeah, like a, a lot of it is I don't know. There are like four, four it's like, like literally perfect children's songs music. on it. Like yeah, true. Like Heroes and, and Wonderful villains is and cool. like yeah. Um, and an alternate mix of like uh, ve- the song about eating vegetable vegetables. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, most of it is more like vegetables. Yes, literally for like the reason they didn't. There's a reason they didn't put those extra tracks out on the albums in like the '70s, where they had nothing. They had mm-hmm. no material. Mm-hmm. Well, because they were they had to put out a record every like six to eight months, so it was just like, let's go. You know, I mean, it kind of worked if you were like a really good curator and had a lot of creative control. I felt like that era totally worked in your favor. Like I don't think Bowie would have put out as much weird shit in the seventies 
if he hadn't been literally forced to like have to have to release like a full length album every uh, every you know eight months or so. Yeah, and Todd yeah. Rundgren. Oh yeah, Put out definitely. An insane amount of shit. Neil Young too, to a certain extent, was just cranking him out. Yeah. Isn't he back on Spotify? It is. I is heard he? that, but I haven't checked. But yeah, that's so checked, funny, dude. We should check right now. What the, I mean? No, I don't why? see him on why there. We, yeah, yeah. There are a few songs you can hear by him. Like you can hear the needle and the damage done live at Live Aid. Yeah, he probably just doesn't own the rights to that specific performance of it. Is my guess. It would be really funny if he demanded the Live Aid shit get taken down when it's going to charity. <laughs> like, no, you yeah. take that down too. I don't. I don't want. I don't want my money going to Africa. That's a great. So I just went to his page, and his top song now on Spotify is his cover of uh, Bob Dylan live at some show in uh, Madison Square Garden. I'm imagining someone who's like some five-year-old who's never heard Neil Young and they look him up. They don't know about the Spotify thing and they just see those are the songs by him. It's like a live version of a Bob Dylan song, a live version at Live Aid. He has like five songs and they're all and charity a song with events. Bram on the Bright soundtrack. Yeah. Like, this guy's famous? That, that's all he made? This sucks. <laughs> this isn't even good. Hey, can I can I read you guys a paragraph from uh, Rolling Stone's original 1972 uh, review of Neil Young's Harvest? Oh hell yeah! All right, here goes. This this came to my attention. Two words: crop failure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here, with the music making little impression, the words stand or fall on their own, ultimately falling as a result of their extremely low incidence of inspiration and high incidence of rhyme scheme forced silliness. A couple of the songs are even offensive. The needle and the damage done is glib, even cute, and, disp- and displays no commitment to its subject. Where, while There's a World is simply flatulent and pretentious nonsense, only a man needs a maid in which... Neil treats his favorite theme, his inability to find and keep a girlfriend, (laughs) in a novel and arrestingly brazen, in terms of our society's accelerating consciousness of women's rights, manner. Only that is particularly interesting. Nearly everything else uh, being limitlessly ponderable, but in a scant oblique way that offers few rewards to the listener. So there you go. Who wrote that? Um, (laughs) Say what? Who wrote that? Uh, that was written by John Mendelssohn in 1972. He fucking Someone hates whose this name record. has uh, been washed away with time, I guess. Yeah. I feel like that's I've so heard that funny, name man. before, that's, but yeah. Not that's a, like the easiest album to like at that point in time. Absolutely. And I think that's why he, I, I mean, I'm rereading this right now, but I think that's why he hates it because he keeps referencing like... Um, Everybody knows this is nowhere, and like okay, so he's sort of that's actually kind of stark minimalism of of like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we were just saying of like shitting on an artist you like when like oh he sold out and whatever. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking of it. Like it's it's really more reasonable in that light, but it's still stupid because that album is obviously better than most of his albums. Like absolutely. I mean, I I wonder, you know, Mendelssohn probably wanted to rewrite that after. this notes for you came out or whatever, or American stars and bars or whatever. Yeah. Also the needle and the damage done thing is so funny to try to shit on that of like, uh, like Jeff Tweedy kind of talks about this kind of thing a bunch where like Jeff Tweedy's done Q and A's where he addresses people being like, 
you were a better musician when you were uh, addicted to opiates and shit. And he's like, fuck you. This is people's lives you're talking about. Like, you can't tell me to do more drugs. And like, you can't ruin, like, I can't ruin my life for your satisfaction, right? Yeah, totally. And the same thing with Neil Young, where it's not him, but his own bandmate. It's just like, you can't ruin his life for your satisfaction as a fucking critic. Like, go fuck yourself, man. Yeah, and he, I mean, he would, cont- that song is good, A of all, and B of yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, great song. It's a fucking great song, and it charted, and uh, he would go on to, like, totally refine those feelings, right? Like, Tonight's the Night, like, famously, record label would not put it out because it was too depressing. <laughs> yeah. He took an entire album to explore all of that and did it, like, pretty fucking good, pretty well, considering he was on the road all the time and probably just doing tons of cocaine and getting wasted all the time. There's something I love about those early rock reviews late 60s, early 70s, where they get insanely mad for no reason at the most, uh, like, what seems now like corny music, like the first Black Sabbath album. Yeah. Like they, yeah, they, where they're yeah. playing harmonica and shit. Yeah, and it's like, ob- yeah, obviously it's kind of goofy, but they just got so, like, laboriously angry about it. It was, they wonder, were so self-important about it tearing down, like yeah, like Neil Young Harvest, which is like the least, but I guess least offensive I think, album yeah. you could ever. It's the most anodyne yeah. album of it. Like, yeah. I, th- I think I, I think I know what it is. I have a, I have a theory. I think basically, so like in the late '60s, early '70s, especially the early '70s with like prog rock and shit, you were finally allowed to take rock and roll music like as seriously as people were taking jazz a decade before. So they're oh, writing about so they're writing about this shit in the same like annoying way that the same people would have written about jazz records that they really liked, you know? Yeah, good call. Uh, that really explains Pitchfork too, like thirty years later. Yeah, yeah. And um, so when so when their fa- when their faves would uh, sort of you know make a make a swing towards uh, mainstream acceptance or yeah, like in the case of Neil Young writing writing a record that has old man on it, you know. They get mad because they feel betrayed. <laughs> yeah. I think, I guess it's what's interesting, like to kind of give a counterfactual here is now we're in an era with the opposite criticism problem where if you go on like Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb or whatever, whatever like insanely mediocre TV show critics like right now, it has a 10 out of 10 because no yes. one wants to criticize it. And it's yes. the opposite problem. Instead of shitting on future classics, they're just loving everything every kind of garbage that people are going to forget immediately. Yeah. And like neither thing is good, but they both cater to like a media environment rather than giving a honest and introspective assessment of whether this stuff is meaningful on like an emotional or personal level or whatever, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's it. Yeah, like the way Rolling Stone reviews albums now, it's like, does it meet the basic standards of an album? Same thing with TV shows and movies. It's like, is it competently produced? Is it like Mm -hmm. better than Suicide Squad? It's like, there are no like glaring flaws in it. It's good enough. And then no one's going to say like, well, the themes were bad or like, no one really wants to go that extra mile to like criticize it on a, a more meta level. If it's just mm-hmm. a competent product, it's like why bother? Yeah, why yeah. why like die on that hill? It's like well, it's they they got the right guys with the right skills to make it, and it it's an entertainment product. Yeah, yeah. ten out of ten, <laughs> ten out of ten, great job. It works correctly. 
But back then they were all about that. But for shit that like no one no one cared about that. No one cared about like how ponderous Neil Young's harvest was. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I don't know, maybe I mean I wonder if there were teenagers who were into every everybody knows this is nowhere and were just like pissed that all of a sudden Neil But even the phenomenon of Neil Young being on the radio is weird, like being mad at him for having sort of mainstream success because he's always sort of had mainstream success because that's all there was back then. Like, Yeah, yeah. And especially because he had already done Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young at that time, right? That's so right. So it's like you knew that he does this thing already where he alternates between like plinky folk and cool rock. Yeah, he had Buffalo Springfield and then Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and then Crazy yeah. Horse and then this. And that, and that those... That couple of years right there just defined the rest of his life where he's just alternated in that cycle forever, you know? Yeah, and it totally works. He figured it out. Yeah, it's cool. More people should be more like that, I think, where you're willing to try different modes. And even if an album sucks, it's like, I don't care, just move on, you know? That's like like you were saying about Bowie. That's the upside of putting out a lot of work is that people will forget the shitty one in two years if you put out a better one, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and especially if you're if you're really trying to pull in the best people every time. Like there is no there's no awful David Bowie record. There's some like there's some stinkers, but you know. Yeah. I think Neil Neil Young's catalog has more <laughs> more high highs and maybe not more high highs, but it definitely has more low lows than Bowie's. Yeah. You should make another Rockabilly album. What's the hold up? <laughs> it's so easy. And it's like, it makes yeah. everybody's rocking makes me smile because it's like <laughs> yeah. it's it's not bad to listen to. It's just such a funny concept, especially coming right after trans. Oh, yeah. 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 He knows what he's doing, you know, juxtaposing those. It's like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. Yeah. Don't give a shit. That's what Radiohead needs to do is do a rockabilly album just to oh loosen God. up a little. <laughs> Except Will. all the songs are in like five, four time. <laughs> Ponderous rockabilly. Ponderous yeah. Rockabilly. <laughs> oh, Someone needs to do that. Oh, man. There was a, a kind of a brief period last year where I thought that Rockabilly was going to be the next big thing. <laughs> I think the next big thing is nothing. Everything is just a small thing for the most part, right? Yeah. Like, there is no Earlier today, thing. we were doing E1 earlier today, and we went down to so many different rabbit holes at once that we were just like, it gave us like a picture of the media environment and Branson tweeted something like to this effect after we found all this stuff, but like TurboTax was streaming on Twitch on the front page with like 27,000 viewers <laughs> at the same time that we were looking at lookmovie.io that has uh, movies on it. Like Miss Willoughby and the haunted bookshop, which is like a real movie on a real site. Like all this shit, like everything's so obscure, even things that like take a lot of effort to do like, I don't know what this fucking movie is, but it probably costs at least millions of dollars, right? And no Definitely. one fucking knows what this is. And probably and at then, least a hundred people worked on it. Yeah, exactly. Like For months. Even even at that level with that money, you're operating in a vacuum. No one's fucking watched this shit. Like You have to know people like Mind of Jason so who can like do the dowsing rod thing to just sense exactly. out this content. They have a and like they have a magical a, ability to just find it where None of us could ever find it. And honestly, that's how we found lookmovie.io is that Mind of Jason posted a screenshot where he was watching it. So we were just <laughs> looking at all the movies on it and they're all just like insane shit you've never heard of. There you go. New movies too. 
Like new high yeah, school Yeah, Mind of movies. Jason is a visionary, dude. Like the alternate dimension that he lives in has so much media uh, heretofore unseen by the rest of us. Bands people have never heard. Most people Series are too cowardly to venture watched. outside Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, even Crackle. I'm looking to go out into Tubi. Not, not me. Stuff, uh, not me, man. I love Tubi. Tubi is amazing. Tubi, uh, also a big fan of uh, watchseries.bz, I think it is now. It used to be watchseries123.ru. <laughs> Hell yeah. Lots of good stuff on there. So Some other movies we found on... Uh, Lookmovie.io was a Fire City End of Days and the <laughs> Rangers Bloodstone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I fa- I found two movies last night. This is reminding me. I found two movies last night on uh, WatchSeries.hd.bz.ru, um, both directed by the same person. One is called The COVID Killer. Um, I'll just read you the. Uh, Description, Will Jordan, an incompetent detective, and his rookie partner, Martina Pippin, must traverse the streets of New York in a race against time to stop a serial killer who is infecting people with COVID. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. He's, uh, he's infected with people with COVID, but he's also taking advantage of Governor Cuomo's mask mandate by wearing a generic COVID mask to hide his identity while also infecting people with COVID. <laughs> How's he infecting Is people? Is he breathing on them for five minutes at a time? Well, it's a gen- it's a generic mask. I think I think it's the uh, and then and then the other film is COVID nineteen invasion, um, where uh, shock troops from the government. Um, surround a deserted high school and try and assassinate the homeless people living in there who are trying to escape the mask mandates. Oh my God. (laughs) I don't think it would be possible to be a COVID serial killer because you would get over it at some point. Yeah, you've only got like two weeks, maybe like a week and a half to kill. And I don't think you can really store it. You got to convince them to hang around you. Yeah. Like, yeah, you would have to get it over and over again and then just, like, breathe on people. But also the guy's wearing a mask. It would work, I guess, as, like, an arena... If you're, like, an arena rock musician and you're playing to, like, 20,000 people, you could just crowd surf a bunch and get right in people's faces and kind of spread it throughout the arena. That would be so easy. You, like, hold the mic out and everybody opens their mouth to be like, Yeah, exactly. halfway (laughs) there. And then you just go, Whoa! "Eh, (laughs) <laughs> and spray phlegm in all their open mouths like baby birds. I I should bring up the fact that um, starring in both of these films is former WWE wrestling star Kevin Nash. Oh no! Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> and they're like so. The plot points are so incoherent that I can't tell whether they're um, like pro mandate, anti mandate, like Q pilled. Or just, they were like, what is everybody talking about right now? I know. Yeah, my that's my best guess is that, and it's just completely incoherent. Yeah. There was an open niche because there was sort of an informal embargo on COVID content, like fictional right. COVID stuff. Like no one was going to make a TV show about COVID during COVID or a movie about yeah. living through COVID during COVID because no one wanted to hear about it. But yeah. People saw that and were like, well, why people are Googling this. Why aren't there movies about it? And then <laughs> exactly. obviously, like, they get the science wrong. It makes no sense. 
just on a basic level, like how this guy has COVID for like a year, but also unlimited energy to go around the world. <laughs> and he doesn't die. Yeah. Yeah. He's a super spreader. I wonder what the appetite would be for a movie about COVID where aliens bring it to Earth. Huge. It helps people get over their prejudices about like, oh, it was made in a lab or it wasn't whatever. Like just <laughs> let's bring everyone together by saying an alien brought it here to uh, to test humanity. It was made on the moon. I think, yeah, it was made inside the moon, which is a, which is a biomechanical structure. I think, uh, I think alien COVID movie would be super popular. I think people's brains are primed for that. And I think it would also bring about world peace because America would stop blaming, blaming China, you know, and they could take some of the heat off themselves, you know? Yeah. I'm, now I'm just thinking back to Dan, something we talked about before of like the thing of uh, bands putting out press releases of just like this album was made in isolation during COVID, et cetera. Yeah. I was but thinking about no that too. <laughs> no one's gone all in though and saying this whole album is about COVID itself and just doing really ham handed, like fucking on the nose, really stupid COVID songs. Like I'm waiting yeah. for that album. That seems like something it's, Neil Young would do if he wasn't busy complaining. Yeah, do you know what Neil Young actually coming. did during the pandemic? I listened to uh, Raina's interview with him on World Cafe, and I mean, I'm sure she has a different impression of this than me, but from listening to it, it was like he's given her nothing, where he's like just kind of done at this point, where it's like, the album's called Barn, because I recorded it in a barn with my friend's <laughs> crazy horse, and then she's trying to get stuff out of him, like, so what's this song uh, Canarican about? He's like, it's because I'm Canadian and American. It's like, all right. Well, all right. Like, literally everything was just surface level. The title is what it's about. And I recorded Barn in a Barn. And it's like, he's just having fun as an 80-year-old, and there's nothing else to it. You know? Him and yeah, David yeah. Crosby love giving interviews like that. It's like, why are you asking yeah. me this? Shut up. Yeah. yeah. I'm not telling you anything. Fuck you. Where's my lunch? You said there was a lunch. Zero, zero effort. <laughs> But I feel like he did tell her everything there is to say because it's all just literally, I wanted to play music with my friends in a barn, and that's what we did. Yeah, I don't think there's yeah. too much depth to it. But he should get really into yeah. concept albums again. Like he did he with trans. Should. Like maybe make trans, but about gender issues. See how it comes out. I don't know. Why maybe not? people I like mean, it, maybe they won't. Yeah, Neil Young's too old. Like, I hope he's on the right side of that, but it's like... He's too old for me to venture a guess, you know? You should make a Vaporwave album. Or maybe C-Punk. C-Punk, yeah. exactly. C-Punk album would That's be what great. 2022 needs is a Neil Young C-Punk album. Neil Young Witch House album. <laughs> I want Azalea Banks on a Neil Young record. Dark Barn. Let her in the barn. Upside down triangle, upside down cross, 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 gradient, gradient, Neil Young, cross, cross, gradient, gradient, upside down triangle. <laughs> yeah, V triangle RN. <laughs> yes. TR triangle N dollar sign. What's the smallest subgenre that ever benefited from making a comeback? Like, Witch House is never coming back, you know? It just wasn't. No one knows how to make it. It's, yeah. Well, they don't know the rituals because uh, the people who started the witch house genre um, destroyed all the spell books. You know, we are the daughters of the witch house <laughs> musicians. You couldn't cancel for having a bad exactly. SXSW set. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
That video was removed, right? Because we wanted mm-hmm. to watch that one that we talked about with Kurt, where that white guy clearly says the N-word in that um, Salem set. He 100% does. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, yeah. it's been excised from the internet. Someone must have it somewhere. Yeah. It's an evolved sure somewhere. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, somebody is uh, moving out of their apartment every month, uh, scrubbing their fingerprints off and getting new ID made because they have the only copy of the Levi's Fader Fort fucking uh, Salem set. And, and the people at Levi's are chasing them. <laughs> them. <laughs> they, they want that thumb drive. That could destroy the witch house guy's career if that comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, I can't tell you what I'm running from, but I can tell you there are some pretty powerful people after me. <laughs> what I've got on this thumb, thumb drive could bring down the entire music industry. <laughs> <laughs> All the major labels are hev- heavily leveraged on uh, witch house artists in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> The smallest subgenre that made a comeback. I don't know, man. I mean, it's it, honestly, it has to be some subgenre of electronic music. It has to be some like splinter of a splinter of house music, you know? Yeah. It's gotta, it's it, gotta I, be like some specific type of acid house that was, uh, that was a micro genre in like fucking, uh, Wolverhampton in like 1992 and is now being rediscovered and reissued on like white labels and, the guy who owns the label has like an NTS show and only plays that music, but there was only a small amount of it made. So they have to like that. That's what's interesting to me is some of those subgenres are like so tiny, like uh, even like dark wave and stuff like that, like minimal sort of minimal wave synth music from the early eighties that I bet more of that music has been made now than was originally made. Yeah. That's a great point of like, if you have a small niche, that's, consistent enough within itself like if there's enough fans who stick around for 10 20 years you're just reissuing it to a pretty similar audience of the same people who are either around or like new people who are around so that like it it perpetuated just enough to stick around yeah exactly i guess it's like rare for something to completely die off and then get rediscovered like that's the kind of story you hear more but i think it's much rarer than the sort of more grateful dead-esque thing of just enough people keep this going forever that it never really disappears. Yeah, 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 like jam band stuff. The jam band genre will never die. I think rap might make a comeback if Eminem gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the thing that's needed for rap to finally get mainstream acceptance. Rap goes mainstream. Just wish they would do it in Cleveland. I just went back to my browser tab of the... Rock Hall of Fame induction thing. And you can, like, obviously, this vote is complete bullshit. It's just like an online fan vote and none of it matters. Even less than the Rock Hall of Fame matters in the first place. But you can tell something about the demographic of who votes in this shit that the person who's in dead last is Fela Kuti. Oh. Yeah, who the hell is that? Yeah, fuck that guy, right? She sounds terrible. Thumbs yeah. down. <laughs> like, Judas Priest is like 10 times as many votes as Fela. Yeah. I think it's Kid Cudi's dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His name is spelled with a K for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of fucked up. They're trying to put Kid Cudi's dad in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for no reason. Yeah, we need to get Kid Cudi in there first. I feel like maybe we should define the Rock Hall of Fame as just rock and remove Neil Young because of albums like 
trans and everybody's rocking. And Harvest, two country. Sorry. Yeah, that's true. He's too many genre experiments. Let's take him out of the rock. We should make a petition to get him out of there. I don't think he's ever made rock. We need to do cultural revolution style ideological purity test on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. (laughs) Duran Duran, out. Revisionist. Bye-bye. Joni Mitchell, you're gone. If you have more than... Jody Mitchell. Five chords, you're out. Radiohead's out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five chords is the absolute maximum. The Ramones are out. They're punk, not rock. Yeah. Yeah. See you later. Ink Van Elmstein's still out. Steve Vai, still out. Too many notes. Just imagine people on Twitter getting furious, like quote tweeting stuff about this. Are you fucking kidding me? Ramones are out of the Rock Hall of Fame. <laughs> Every year they just kick more people out than they let in. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Yeah, that's great. Until the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is just Randy Bachman and like John Cougar Mellencamp. And that's when you start letting Eminem into it. That's right. And uh, mix it up. They need to remove Justin Bieber. It was a mistake to let him in. And his, <laughs> and his monkey. I saw on Facebook that they put Justin Bieber in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and took the Who out because there wasn't enough room. And it, it, it makes me mad. Justin Bieber's just one guy, though, and the Who are like at least four guys. So not yeah. anymore. If the Rock Hall, uh, if the Rock Hall is truly musical, then it should be a game of musical chairs, where there's like 500 artists right away, and then we keep taking one away every time. Yeah. So there's only one left, and they get killed too. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, Joni. Luckily Mitchell. for them, most of them are already dead. But <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that pretty much solves the Rock Hall. Of uh, let's make it into musical chairs. When we're down to one, they're the winner, and we'll start over with a new batch of artists. That's right. Rock and roll will never die. It will just be slowly whittled down to its purest expression in the form of one person. That's right. Eminem. <laughs> <laughs>